on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if he falls into a a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our gracious and good God who desires mercy and not sacrifice, we come to you this morning asking that you would help us understand your word. That you would help those who are downcast and weary, that they would see and experience your helper. That those who have backslidden, that you would convict them and lead them to repentance. And for those whose hearts are hard and eyes are blind, would you reveal yourself today to them? Father, help us. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember, the ending of Matthew 11 is... Jesus looking at his disciples and telling the crowd, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So it should be no surprise to us that as Jesus, or as Matthew starts this next section, Matthew is showing us the misunderstanding that the Pharisees had about the Sabbath. You see, what's interesting about the Pharisees' misunderstanding of the Sabbath is there's still largely a misunderstanding today in the 21st century on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. And yet, the Sabbath is treated in two primary ways, is it not? Let's look at these two ways. The the first way is you go to church, you come home, and you absolutely do, do no work whatsoever 
And if you do any type of work at all, then you are sinning against God and breaking the Sabbath. In fact, I remember when I was in a class, I was talking with a professor about the Sabbath, and he remembered as a child his mom and dad saying, on Saturdays, we are going to get all of our chores done before 6 p.m. All of your homework has to be done before 6 p.m. All of the meal prep has to be done before 6 p.m. There can be no work whatsoever from 6 p.m. on Saturday to 6 p.m. on Sunday. If there is, then we are living in sin. The only type of work they would do is she would put the casserole in the oven and turn it on to 425. Uh, my professor remembered that day as a very boring day. On the flip side, though, the other way that we view the Sabbath is this idea that your Sabbath is there is no Sabbath. This was the type of Sabbath that I saw my family do growing up. And I have to imagine that most evangelical Americans treat the Sabbath this way as well. Your Sabbath is there is no Sabbath because we find our rest in Jesus. We can work on the Sabbath. We can do what we want on the Sabbath. And I think the reason why most evangelical Americans treat the Sabbath like this is because work is an idol. Right? We treat work as the highest priority. If you are not working, then somehow you're deficient. You're lazy. This was my view of the Sabbath growing up. So that way, on Sundays, I could then go to the gym and train even more. Right? This type of idea says that there is, no, there is no rest. There's no rest. Hard work pays off. There's a problem, though, in these two understandings of the Sabbath, isn't there? The first one is the problem of legalism. It says if you don't do any work or if you do any work on the Sabbath, you've sinned against God and you are doomed to His punishment. But we'll see in this passage that this is not scriptural at all. But the second idea of the Sabbath, that there is no Sabbath, is antinomianism. It says, let's do away with the Sabbath so that way we can indulge our idol of work because our rest is found in Jesus. I can now disobey the fourth commandment and the Sabbath is useless. But that's not the case either, is it? Because Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish the law. You see, both of these ideas of the Sabbath actually shackle us to more work. One idea treats our relationship with God like a job on Sundays. And the other gives us an excuse to idolize work. One is a slave 
to your own works, and the other is a slave to the cultural idol of work. And yet what Jesus is teaching the Pharisees, and what we're going to see this morning, is that there is a better way to do the Sabbath. There is a freer way of doing the Sabbath that is actually refreshing and restful. You know, it's like in the cold winter months when you have dry hands and you put lotion on and you feel that relief. Or, or like after a long day of work being on your feet and you sit down and you feel your legs kind of pulsing a little bit, but you take that deep breath and say, oh, it feels good to get off my feet. It's like looking forward to the bell ringing on Friday, knowing that the weekend is here and you don't have to go to class. You see, in this passage, Jesus is clarifying what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. He's clarifying what is lawful to do on the Sabbath because the Pharisees charge His disciples with doing what is unlawful. The Pharisees charge or accuse Jesus of allowing his disciples to break the fourth commandment. And so Jesus replies back with two arguments that we will see. And then his relation to the Sabbath. And as then we continue on in this passage, as Jesus is then entering the synagogue, we not only see his relation to the Sabbath, but his work on the Sabbath. Ultimately, what the Pharisees are doing is charging Jesus and his disciples with sin, breaking the fourth commandment. But Jesus is going to teach the Pharisees what is lawful to do on the Sabbath and what is not. So, here's what we're going to look at this morning. If you're a note taker, here's your, this is the point. This is the point of the passage. Jesus shows us that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And we're going to see this in two ways. We're going to see how Jesus shows us that He is the Lord of the Sabbath in two ways. In our first point, verses 1-8, through Jesus' Lordship of over the Sabbath. It's our first point, Jesus' Lordship over the Sabbath. And then our second point in verses 9-14, through Jesus' work on the Sabbath. So let's look at our first point, Jesus' Lordship over the Sabbath. In verses 1 through 8, Jesus is going to make His Lordship over the Sabbath known. But before we get to Jesus making known His Lordship over the Sabbath, there are a few places that we have to stop first. We look at this first verse, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Let's stop right there. This is our first stop. Because we need to answer this question, what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? The, the Sabbath day is a day of rest. It's the fourth commandment. God commanded the Israelites to work six days and on the seventh day rest and do no work. 
God gives us an example of the Sabbath himself as he worked on he worked six days creating all things, and on the seventh day he rested. He stepped back, took a look at his creation, said it was good, remembered what he had done, and he rested. And so God establishes the fourth commandment of keeping the Sabbath day holy by calling his people to rest on the Sabbath by doing no work and remembering him and what he has done. But our sinful hearts are prone to two ways, as I mentioned earlier. They're prone to use use God's law as a means for God's approval Or the other way it's bent is to disregard God's law entirely. And we see the Pharisees do this as sometimes as they are charging Jesus with sin, they're not going far enough. We see Jesus unfold the Ten Commandments in Matthew chapter 5. It's not just Committing the act of adultery, Jesus says, it's looking upon a person with lust that's adultery. So the Pharisees take away from the Scriptures. And at other times, the Pharisees add to the Scriptures, like here. This commandment was a bit vague, wasn't it? All God had asked His people to do, He says, keep the Sabbath day holy by not working. What's work? Well, the Pharisees over time tried to answer this question. They started making rules and regulations on what was work on the Sabbath and what wasn't work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus and his disciples, they were hungry. And his disciples began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So this is, as we approach our next stop, the question that we need to ask ourselves. As the disciples were going around plucking the heads of grain, something that was no longer, no shorter than the pens in the backs of your seats, the Pharisees look at that and they charge the disciples with breaking the Sabbath a serious charge this is a big offense breaking the sabbath for plucking something so small so we need to ask the question as the pharisees are accusing jesus for allowing the disciples to sin supposedly is jesus letting his disciples sin Is he just flippantly saying, go ahead, disciples, and sin? Well, no, he's not. He's not letting his disciples sin. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that it's sinful to pluck grain on the Sabbath. In fact, God had established laws by telling them, telling the people, plant extra grain so that way if there's somebody passing by who is hungry, they can pluck grain and eat it. 
It was a way to love your neighbor who was in need. So what's taking place here? The Pharisees' legalistic hearts are actually coming out and we're getting a taste of this burden that was placed upon the people. So what is legalism? Sometimes there's a lot of talk about what legalism is and isn't. Sometimes we get legalism confused. At its very core, legalism has to deal with righteousness. It has to deal with your justification. Legalism, post-cross deals, is a gospel issue. Legalism is a slow poison to our souls because legalism tells us, I need to do all of these laws in order to be loved and accepted by God. And if I don't do all of these laws perfectly to the T, then God is upset at me because I haven't carried this out. Legalism burdens people with laws that are no, found nowhere in Scripture. You know, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth saying again, there are two forms of legalism. Some of you may remember the old way of legalism. The don'ts. You don't do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do that. I once heard a pastor say, you don't drink, you don't smoke, and you don't chew, and you don't go out with girls who do. But we've painted legalism now and we've put flashing lights around it to attract people. And now we see the different way of legalism is now do's. If you do this, and you do this, and you do this, then you'll be accepted by God. Then you will be loved by God. Legalism is a gospel issue that deals with our justification with God. And the Pharisees were telling the people that if they did not keep the Sabbath day, and if they did not keep all of the rules and regulations perfectly, then God disapproved of them. And so Jesus, hearing the Pharisees spout off this nonsense has two arguments for them. We see two arguments. The first argument is a minor argument, or it's a minor offense. The second argument is more of a major offense. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So this is the minor offense. This would land you 90 days in the clink. David and the boys, they were out running for their lives, trying to stay alive. And they were hungry. And David goes to the house of God and he asks for bread. And the priest says, sorry, David, got nothing for you. There's only the bread of the presence, which was only lawful for the priests to eat. But the priest gave it to David, and David and the boys ate it, and they were not condemned. They did something that was unlawful. 
that was not acceptable according to the law of God. And yet David was not condemned and neither were the people who were with him. But the second argument that Jesus now goes on to is if maybe the Pharisees will say, well, that doesn't deal with the Sabbath, Jesus. Jesus now goes on to the more major offense, uh, maybe greater argument. Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Here's the major offense. 10 to 15 years in the clink. The priests on the Sabbath worked. The priests would do their priestly duties and work on the Sabbath, and yet they were guiltless. They were not guilty. They were innocent. And yet Jesus and His disciples are being accused of breaking the Sabbath for plucking small heads of grain. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you're seeing the inconsistency of the Pharisees' teaching right now. It's not okay for the disciples to pluck little heads of grain, but it's okay for the priests to work on the Sabbath. Boy, oh boy. Next, Jesus is going to drop a truth bomb on them. This is like an atomic bomb for the Pharisees to hear this. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is an atomic bomb going off. I wish I could have a, a camera angle of the Pharisees' faces when Jesus said this. Because what's greater than the temple? What is here that is greater than the temple? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is identifying as God. He's saying, I'm here. I'm in the flesh. Jesus is affirming that He is God. In the temple, the temple is where the presence of God would dwell with the people. And what Jesus is telling the Pharisees is that right now, me, I am greater than the temple because I am God and I am with my disciples. I am here. I have come into the flesh. And if the Pharisees only understood and knew that God desires for His people to experience mercy and not sacrifice, then the Pharisees wouldn't be heaping all of these burdens, unnecessary burdens upon the people. They wouldn't be heaping the extra-biblical laws that the people could not keep. Instead of treating the disciples as guilty, they would treat them as innocent. But instead, the Pharisees were looking for any and all reasons to condemn and treat the people as 
guilty. So what makes Jesus Lord of the Sabbath? It's that he created the Sabbath. He is the creator of the Sabbath. And because he is the creator of the Sabbath, that means that he is Lord of the Sabbath. It means that he is the Sabbath's master. This means that Jesus can be trusted because he knows what he is talking about. He's not a madman or a raging lunatic spouting off crazy gibberish. He is God in the flesh and knows how the Sabbath works because he's Lord over it. He is the creator of the Sabbath. He wrote the manual on how to use the Sabbath. And what he is seeing is the Sabbath being manipulated, misused, not created as a way for people to worship him, but instead a way for people to feel the burden of their sin. This is such good news for us that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Because that means that we can find rest on the Sabbath. That means we don't have to turn to extra-biblical works on the Sabbath. And that means that we don't have to just do away with the Sabbath. That means that there is something greater about the Sabbath than we could ever realize. That we won't fully understand and grasp until we make it to heaven. Because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath means that He has the authority and the perfect understanding to explain to us what the Sabbath is and how we should function with the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus has come to show us how to function on the Sabbath. Jesus shows us He is the Lord of the Sabbath by pointing to His deity. He shows us He is the Lord of the Sabbath in this first point because He created the Sabbath. Which as we move on to then our second point, Jesus' work on the Sabbath, Jesus shows us He is Lord of the Sabbath in verses 9-14 through by His work on the Sabbath. He went out from there and entered their synagogue. I mean, Jesus and the disciples are are good Jewish men because good Jewish men and women went to the service on Sunday. (laughs) Sorry, that was a very dry sense of humor. But not a second that Jesus steps his foot into the synagogue. He's being accused or set up again. He's being grilled by the Pharisees again. I mean, him and his disciples can't have a peaceful breakfast and they can't come to the synagogue service peacefully either. Jesus is being grilled. 
And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Do you see what the Pharisees are trying to do here? They're trying to slander Jesus. They're trying to bear false witness about him so that way they can spread it to everyone that Jesus is a sinful man. We caught Jesus. This is no different than the lawyer coming up to Jesus and asking him, who's my neighbor? They are trying to bear false witness against Jesus. And yet Jesus has the perfect response. Which one of you who has a sheep, if he falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Jesus is drawing out their hearts. He's pulling it out right in front of them. He's pulling out their motives. What's their motive? Do you love your neighbor or not? Do you love your neighbor or not? Because they would be willing to go and rescue a sheep. But if they said that they were willing to rescue a sheep and not let this man be healed, then they are showing their cards. They're revealing their heart. Which if you don't know, their heart is, they only love their neighbors if they can get something out of their neighbors. But if the Pharisees agree with Jesus, it's okay to heal, then they're agreeing with Jesus. And I don't know if you've read enough of the Gospels, but the Pharisees really don't want to agree with Jesus at all. The hard heart of a person refuses Jesus' words and works. It's only by the Spirit of God to soften the heart of a person that a person comes to believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Jesus is asking, who is more important, a sheep or a person? And he answers that for us. He tells us who's more important, of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Why is a person more valuable than a sheep? Because people are created in the image of God. People are the crown jewel of God's creation. And to do good to a person on the Sabbath is not unlawful. Nowhere in the Old Testament what Jesus is trying to explain is it, it doesn't say anywhere that you can't heal a person on the Sabbath. So here Jesus clarifies for those who are listening in on what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. And what does he say? He says what is lawful to do on the Sabbath is to do good. On the Sabbath, we are to do good. Good. What does that mean? It means to do good, not evil. Do good and not evil on the Sabbath. Anything. Anything that's good, do. What is good leads to a greater worship of God. That is why what we do good 
That is why is it, it is lawful to do good. So how does Jesus show that he's Lord of the Sabbath here? He confirms it with the miracle. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. So Jesus not only shares that he is the Sabbath's master, that he is the Sabbath's creator by claiming to be God, he shows us by restoring the man's hand as good as new. Jesus shows us in this passage that he is Lord of the Sabbath. That he is worthy of our worship on the Sabbath. Yet it was from this act of mercy that Jesus displayed that the burning fire of hatred of the Pharisees' hearts continued to grow. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him on how to destroy or, we could say, how to kill him. Pride is what put Christ on the cross. Our pride is what puts Christ on the cross. Our pride put Him on the cross, not wanting to submit to His Lordship, not bowing the knee now to worship Him. See, the same problem that the Pharisees faced, their pride is the same pride today that keeps us from Christ. Pride says there is no God. And maybe this is you here this morning saying there is no God. Or maybe your pride has infected your heart in another way. Maybe your pride has said there is another God and Jesus is one, but politics is another. Maybe you're here today and you've put your hope on something here in this earth that will fade. Maybe you've put your allegiance primarily in a sports team. Maybe your allegiance is in your work. Maybe you look at Jesus as a good Savior, but not as the Lord of your life. Maybe your pride forces you to say, Jesus, that dude is a lunatic. He's a fake. But here this morning, we've been confronted with two realities, haven't we? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He tells us. He proclaims that to us. And He shows us this morning that He is Lord of the Sabbath by healing the man. And so if that's the case, then I would ask, I would ask right now that you would repent Repent now and trust in Jesus. Repent right now before it is too late. Repent because judgment is coming to all and those who do not repent and turn to Christ will suffer an eternal torment in hell. But for those who do repent, for those who do trust in Christ as Savior and Lord can have rest, can have freedom, can have His righteousness. 
and be saved. Christ died for you to save you from the eternal wrath that is to come. Trust in Him. You see, Jesus shows us He is the Lord of Sabbath by doing good work on the Sabbath. Jesus shows us that He is Lord of the Sabbath by testifying to His own Lordship of the Sabbath, that He created the Sabbath. So as I conclude, I'd like to conclude with very practical application. How do we then carry out the Sabbath? How do we live in obedience to the fourth commandment? I ask that question because the Sabbath isn't a checklist of rules like the Pharisees proposed, that the Pharisees were teaching. However, the Sabbath, Jesus didn't come to abolish. Nowhere in our text does Jesus ever say we're just to do away with the Sabbath now, does He? No, He says actually that the Sabbath was made for man. Not that man was made for the Sabbath. So let me finish by explaining how we do not become slaves to the Sabbath. I heard a a pastor explain it like this. It's like God gives us 52 snow days a year. You remember when you were a, a kid? And you turned on the radio or turned on the TV the night before hoping that there would be a snow day the next day. Remember one of my teachers telling us, go home and flip your your pajamas inside out and wear them backwards because that somehow is good luck. That tells the snow to fall even more. God giving us the Sabbath is like God giving us 52 snow days a year. And in our work-idolized culture that we live in, that means we get a snow day once a week. The Sabbath is to be a day of rest. It's to be a day where we do no work. But the Sabbath is a day where we do good. All right. So what does this mean for us then? First off, this means whatever is work to you, don't do that on the Sabbath. So maybe your Sabbath, which is a 24-hour time period, is on Sunday. Great. If doing the laundry, the dishes, mowing the lawn, cooking food is work to you, do that the day before. If you enjoy to cook, and that will lead you to greater worship of God, then cook on the Sabbath. If you hate to cook, then go out and get something to eat. Order takeout. 
The Sabbath is to be a day of rest where we do good. And doing good leads you to worshiping God. So, turn off your phone. Silence it. Tell your family and friends that for this 24 hours, I'm not going to be available. And if an emergency comes up, then I'll call you or you know where I live. Log out of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Don't be bombarded by the news. The Sabbath is to be a day of rest. A day of remembrance of what God has done. To do good. So that could look like going for a bike ride. It could look like having people over for a cookout. It might look like having a movie night. Anything that causes you to worship God more is what you should do on the Sabbath. Let me say it like this. The Sabbath day is a day of rest. Pick a day, any day. I take my Sabbath on Mondays. And choose that day with an intentional purpose of remembering God in all you do. And if it leads you to grumble, don't do it. The Sabbath is such a freeing day. And it should point us to the eternal rest that we will receive one day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the rest that we find in Jesus and we thank you for the Sabbath that you've given us. Would you help us obey your commandments? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.